Welcome back to the Space Hour here on Federal News Network. I'm Eric White. Recently, astronauts on the ISS had to take shelter after a Russian anti-satellite weapon test created a dangerous cloud of space debris. Naturally, the U.S. government is deeply concerned about the risk posed by space debris. This year's NDAA even includes a directive to identify efforts to advance alternatives to hull thrusters. So what's the deal with hull thrusters? Well, to find out, I spoke to Dr. Natalia Bailey, who founded and is the chief strategy officer at Axion Systems. So I'm technical by training. I went straight through bachelor's, master's, and PhD, all with a narrowing focus on space propulsion. And that brought me to lab at MIT for my doctorate, where I met who would become my co-founder, uh, Lewis, and we were working on a new type of electric propulsion technology, more, you know, because we were academics and it was, you know, a fun, interesting problem. But while we were doing that, the industry was trending towards smaller and smaller satellites. Um, you know, Moore's Law had been continuing on and making it possible to build capable spacecraft in smaller packages. Um, so there came to be like a growing interest in, in all the various subsystems and components that these smaller, you know, disaggregated spacecraft would require compared to their larger counterparts. And um, that's sort of exactly what we had been working on was this really efficient type of electric propulsion that for the first time would work well on a small satellite. And, you know, we're sort of having this conversation now because it's also um, the things that allow our system to be small and powerful and efficient at those sizes are also things that make our system um, safer and less prone to blow up and blow up other satellites as well. <laughs> so um, a couple instances of being in a, a good place at the right time. And here we are. Yeah, so can you tell me a little bit about the status quo and the recent you know, news that you just, I think, were alluding to about the Russian anti-satellite weapon that uh, created a lot of space debris? Um, what about that is, you know, wh- what do you think that your, your new system might be able to change? Yes, um, so status quo, um, you know, zooming out to a high level, there are two main types of propulsion Um, chemical and electric and chemical is, you know, the fiery explosion one that a lot of people associate with, with rockets and so on and and launch and then electric, which is much subtler. um, It uses electrical energy to accelerate charged particles out the back instead of hot gas. Um, And people tend to like electric when they're in space because it's extremely efficient in terms of the propellant usage. Um, you know, anywhere from 10 to a thousand times more efficient than using a chemical system. Um, But the status quo has been electric propulsion systems that still need, even though um, there's no explosion or anything, we we still have to store those propellants at really high pressures um, on the order of 200 to 600 atmospheres. And you end up with the equivalent of still, you know, about a kilogram of TNT just in that stored pressure. Um, so even though it's not a nasty chemical reaction, it still is quite dangerous. So we've heard from some folks that were scoping out a, a legacy system, a hall thruster for use on their constellation. And they were so worried about this that they've got their hands on some of these tanks and shot them 
and and we're studying the resulting you know debris and the satellites got hit and the tank exploded um, that would set off a chain reaction that would actually destroy their whole constellation basically a uh, you know, and we've run our own simulations and it's basically, um, you know, pretty certain that you can destroy your own constellation with the already up there if you have these pressurized tanks on board. And, you know, the the ASAT test and, and ones that have happened in the past as well, each one can create on the order of 10,000 new pieces of debris. So um, every one of those, you know, is just really increasing the likelihood that we set off these chain reactions and very quickly low earth orbit becomes unusable. And I'm a little rambly. I care about um, this topic, but, you know, um, Viasat has done some studies really nice that are publicly available that show that even today, if you just add in Starlink, SpaceX's constellation, uh, that already tips the scales and we're Leo is not viable after, I think it was 50 years from now, just by adding Starlink. So we're already in a very unsustainable position. Yeah, I, I'm glad that you're you're passionate about this topic because I wanted to ask, you know, where that tipping point is. And I, I guess you just sort of answered that. But, you know, what happens if low Earth orbit is no longer an accessible tool for us? Yeah, I mean, it's an incredibly valuable place where we put all sorts of sensors for for observing the earth and communicating and you know i think probably the the most dangerous effects come from the you know government fallout if if somehow we you know impact gps satellites and, and you know they're not in leo but when we need to launch a new one we have to make it through leo to launch it um and other you know national security assets um are sort of the the scariest you know, things that come to mind first for me. Dr. Natalia Bailey is the founder and chief strategy officer of Axion Systems. So speaking of governments, um, what is the U.S. government itself um, looking to do? Um, obviously, you know, that's a big deal if uh, we're not able to use low Earth orbit uh, satellites. Uh, what are what does the U.S. government have in mind to help fix the problem? A lot of ideas. Um, I think Basically, there are just a lot of places that I expect to see change coming up, but it just isn't happening yet. So, you know, going to the UN level, we have these pretty outdated recommendations that, you know, spacefaring nations have to remove, you know, your spacecraft, satellite, what have you from orbit um, by 25 years. Um, so the U.S., uh, takes that recommendation and we the way we try to enforce it is through um, FCC licensing. So if you want to get an FCC license, you have to show that you will deorbit your satellite um, within 20 years. We made it a little bit more aggressive. Um, but there are all sorts of you know ways to get around that and then other countries have decided you know not to care about it at all. Um, so that's one area I think you know I expect to see or I hope to see, um, some change, um, uh, probably the main one. I, you know, have no idea what's going to happen geopolitically with um, anti-satellite type tests and weapons. Um, uh, and and then I also think that uh, we need some, you know, global level regulations around 
spacecraft having their own maneuverability um, capabilities because you know I could picture um, countries coming online with new space programs or, or some of the, the more mature ones that start launching thousands of satellites without any propulsion on board and without any way to maneuver out of the way of debris or another spacecraft um, and then trying to you know say well I don't have any propulsion it's your responsibility to move out of the way of my spacecraft and and that's kind of the precedent we're setting right now so um, I think you know the U.S. could take a firmer stance on how we regulate that ourselves and hopefully set that that precedent for the world so oh um, one other area for the government um, there's also just a lot of talk on building more resilient um, systems like how do we make you know GPS or um, reconnaissance or you know communication for the government more resilient to you know um, being hit by debris or how do we um, so in, in that sense the whole system architecture put have more spares on orbit or disaggregate the the capability among more and more satellites and then at this the component and subsystem level um, investing in technologies that can be you know more resilient to debris impact uh, like axion systems yeah, I, I could uh, sense the hint of skepticism you had in the political solutions that you were discussing. Uh, is it kind of like a, another global problem that we can relate to, uh, where it's kind of a two-step back, one-step forward sort of deal, and it's not going to be taken care of until it's a real problem? Well, I I think we just moved into the realm of it being a real, real problem. So I actually expect that we start to really see some movement but i i think it really was this latest test that really is driving that home for people so i think now we will start seeing some changes in in the areas that i just listed and so how specifically does your company's uh, tile system uh, work towards decreasing the amount of space debris um, other than i know you gave sort of a general explanation but what specifically does it do that doesn't create as much or any space debris yeah, so um, most of the key is in the propellant tank. Um, for, for this particular question, um, our tank, we use a new type of propellant and it's a liquid instead of a gas and it doesn't have to be pressurized. So we do not have any stored energy. So if, if it is impacted by debris, you know, nothing happens. Uh, it's, you know, at this particular moment, um, hard for me to say the satellite will function perfectly um, for the remaining years as it was intended, since we don't have a lot of that space data, but it certainly won't explode and itself create 10,000 new pieces of debris. And then those pieces of debris won't go on to impact more satellites behind it and so on. Um, so that's a main way that, that we think we can help move the needle on, on reversing the situation. And then for the government specifically, um, if a, you know, let's say a GPS satellite um, is hit by a piece of debris and it has a hull thruster on it um, and, you know, that explodes and takes out the whole satellite. If ours is hit, no explosion, satellite keeps functioning. Um, maybe, you know, if we detect it's hit, we have time to send up a spare or something. So we won't lose a critical capability um, due to debris. And similarly, um, on for our thruster, it's, not the tank, but the thruster head itself, ours are made up of, um, you know, tens to hundreds of discrete thruster chips that are, you know, on the centimeter 
size. So a hull thruster has just one thruster head component. So if that gets hit, the whole thing is, is useless. If ours gets hit, it's just those particular centimeter square pieces that um, are you know removed from operation and, and the rest of it keeps functioning. Functioning. So um, debris impacts are not you know, loss of life for our satellites like they are for other systems. Yeah, no explosions, though. It means uh, less exciting moving endings, that's for sure. <laughs> I know, right? Dr. Natalia Bailey is the founder and chief strategy officer of Axion Systems. That's going to do it for this month's episode of the Space Hour. Remember, you can find all these interviews on our website. Go to federalnewsnetwork.com and search Space Hour. I'm Eric White. I'll see you all next time.